Good morning. All right, picture this. It's early, like really early. Anybody get up before the sun? You haven't even had a sip of coffee yet. You're exhausted. But instead of sipping that lovely coffee, listening to the birds and watching the sunrise, you're fulfilling the first demand of the day. You can do this. Yesterday you blew it. We're not even going to talk about the day before. Don't go there. You learned your lesson today. Follow the instructions. Cheerios. Almond milk. In the bowl. Don't put it on the side. You learned your lesson, remember? You can do this. So you deliver the bowl. What? I don't want to eat this. I don't want milk in it. I'm not going to eat this. Has anybody had a toddler in their house before? Oh, come on. You've had toddlers in your house, right? Toddlers are crazy with their big emotions, right? Their anger is just an explosion. And if you have a toddler, like I do, you're really well aware of these big emotions. And if you don't have a toddler, you maybe have seen mine or somebody else's in this room being drugged down the aisle at Walmart off the back of the cart, right? Okay, seriously, toddlers, they are known for their big emotions because they wear them on their sleeves, right? They, they haven't learned yet what our culture says is appropriate to share. So because they're so precious and they're so generous, they share all of them, right? Okay, as adults, though, we, we've learned through experience. We've learned this emotion might not be great to share in this situation. Some of us in this room have not learned those things about emotions, and, and some of us really do. We struggle with emotions in general. I don't know if you maybe have grown up in an environment that said, don't, don't show any of those emotions. None of those are okay. Maybe you have learned to push some of those down or ignore them. Maybe you've learned some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. You guys know the opposite of good? Bad? Okay. So would you agree, if you think some emotions are good and some are bad, would you agree that anger could be a bad emotion? It could be, right? I, I okay, go with me here. Keep an open mind. I believe that true anger is actually a gift. I think emotions in general are, are just like check engine lights in our car. They pop up to let us know something's going on inside. Something needs our attention. And so anger, if we think that it's a bad emotion, why? Because it's always been associated with raging people. Maybe you yourself have experienced just utter destruction when it comes to anger. And so go with me today because regardless of what I think, remember we're in this series called Think Like Jesus. We're going to look at what Jesus thinks about anger and what to do with it. So right from the middle of our text today in Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Jesus says this sentence, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Okay, I think Jesus is setting me up here because I don't think Jesus has ever been cut off in traffic, right? 
you're not in control always of feeling angry, right? It's what you do with the anger that's important. So if I was sitting there and Jesus said this, I'd say, Jesus, what am I supposed to do with this anger? Okay, so let's back up into verse 21, and we'll see, we'll get a full context of what he's saying. So let's read this together. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And so Jesus is speaking in this new format here in chapter 5, where he, he does this type of teaching where he says, you've heard it said something, but I say. And so something that we as modern readers might miss is that the, the listeners of this original sermon were accustomed to hearing the word of God because they didn't have a Bible in their hands. They didn't have an app on their phone that they could just open and read the word of God, right? So they had to go to the physical synagogues and sit under the teachers of the law and listen to the word of God being read aloud. And these guys explained the word of God to them. And so these teachers of the law weren't just the teachers of the day. They were also the authority. And the problem is they had this habit of either restricting the law of God or extending it. So they didn't just put the law of God out there and let it be what it is and God's intention. They added their own spin to it, right? They either went a little bit further or they didn't go far enough. So to these teachers of the law, they later in Matthew 23, Jesus says, you guys are doing a terrible thing here. You're taking all these burdens and heaping them up on people's shoulders, and you're not doing anything at all to help them get out from under them. And so Jesus' goal with saying, you've heard it said, but I say, is to try to correct the enforcement of the law. Are you all tracking with me there? Okay. So the law says, this is the sixth commandment. Does anybody have it memorized by the number? <laughs> no. You should not murder. Okay, pretty cut and dry. Something that most of us wouldn't push back against, right? Uh, but Jesus is not aiming at the letter of the law here. He's aiming at the heart of it. So the teachers of the law, their focus was the outward action of a person. Their focus was do not murder. Murder is bad, okay? Jesus is focused at the heart. Jesus says that a heart full of anger is dangerous. Jesus is condemning both that heart full of anger and the act of murder itself. And so as Jesus is exposing the heresy that these Pharisees were teaching, he's, once again, he's trying to bring the law back to the matters of the heart. So in verse 22, he says, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Is it interesting to any of you that Jesus condemns calling someone an idiot? Ser I, seriously, do, do you not use this word just like, what an idiot? It's so flippant. It's so harmless. We call our friends an idiot, and it's kind of like a, a loving thing. It's very confusing sometimes. And so 
Jesus, what Jesus is getting at here, it's, it's hard for us because we're missing something. The original language, the word idiot, is it's the Hebrew word raka. And raka is difficult because it loses so much in translation to English because it's more about the way it's expressed. It's more about the tone of the word than the actual definition itself. Raka actually means disgust, disdain, thinking somebody is completely worthless. It's an expression of utter contempt towards someone. And so we have Jesus saying, if you call someone an idiot, Raka, you're in danger. Jesus isn't saying that calling someone an idiot is going to send you to hell. He's not saying calling someone a name is going to send you to hell. He's saying if you have that kind of disgust, disdain, rooted in your heart towards someone, that's the danger. Are you all tracking with that? So imagine Jesus sitting there preaching this on a hillside to all these people, and he's so concerned that people not let this kind of hatred, this kind of disgust get in their hearts. So he goes on in the rest of his teaching, and he uses two examples. So the first one is here in 23, verses 23 and 24. It says this, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. So what's that suddenly remember that's the Holy Spirit nudging. That's important to remember. That's important to obey and listen to. So you're, you're presenting your, your gift at the altar, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And so, again, we might miss this as modern readers because we don't have a habit of going to the temple of God, right? So the listeners of this sermon were located in what city? Does anybody know? Galilee. Good job. And so Galilee is about 80 miles from the temple, which is in Jerusalem. That would be like walking from, downtown, uh, from Journey Church to downtown Cleveland. That's about 80 miles, right. So according to Google Maps, that would take us like 25 hours. Anybody in here used to walking 25 hours? No, I'm, I'm not either. That would probably take me like two weeks. I don't know, maybe a week. But remember, you're taking what to the temple? Your sacrifice. And that sacrifice is probably something like a live goat. So you're not only walking 25 hours, you're somehow managing to get this live goat there with you. Alive, by the way. It has to be alive. That's part of the sacrifice. So imagine Jesus saying to these people, you've made it to the temple, and you're about ready to go through all the, you know, all the things, the rules, the policies of making yourself right before God, of offering your worship to God. And the priest is getting ready to sacrifice this goat. And then you remember that your neighbor's mad at you for blowing leaves in his yard. So he says, leave the goat, turn around, walk back 80 miles, go knock on your neighbor's door, and try to make things right. This is obviously a really big deal to Jesus, right? 
And so he's saying, stop with all the religious action if your heart is a mess. Because the Father sees your heart. The Father cares more about your heart and your intentions than what you're offering at the temple. So he goes on in the next verse with his second example. This is verse 25. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is speaking again to something we might miss here. You guys picking up on a theme? So he's speaking about this thing called a debtor's prison. Has anybody heard of a debtor's prison? When you owed a debt in, in, this, in Jesus' time and you couldn't pay it, you were thrown into a specific kind of prison where you're chained, you're bound, just like a regular prison, but you don't get out until you can pay the debt. But how do you pay the debt if you're chained in prison, you can't work, you can't earn anything. That's the point. A lot of people died in these prisons, which is why we don't have them anymore. They don't, they don't work, they're totally illogical. And so can you follow Jesus's train of thought when he's saying, this is a really pressing matter because you might actually lose time, you might run out of time. You might lose the opportunity to make things right with people. So don't wait. Settle your differences quickly. I think that Jesus is clear that the emotion, anger itself, is not the sin. But the part that we could get caught up in is holding on to the sin. The roots take time to build, right? We hold this anger in our hearts and let them root in there. And it could cause us to burn with such contempt or disdain, remember that word raka, that we could figuratively kill someone either with our words or our actions toward them, our thoughts toward them, or literally murder them. And so Jesus is urging us, verse 24 says, go and be reconciled. Verse 25 says, settle your differences quickly. Jesus is urging us like the clock is ticking. Come on, go deal with these people that you're angry with. Or if someone's angry with you, go and deal with it. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that undealt with anger gives the devil, our enemy, a foothold in our life. You know what a foothold is? Any climbers in the room? A foothold is a place where when you're making your ascent, you can stand up and just take a break. I don't know about you, I don't want the devil taking a break, resting at a spot in my life. I don't wanna give him a place to take root in my life. Okay, so this is so important because a heart full of anger is dangerous. Undealt with anger eventually becomes bitterness, being totally numbed out. Okay, if you're numb, you're not gonna feel the anger anymore, right? But you're also not gonna feel joy, peace, happiness. You're not going to experience the relationships in your life. You're not going to be free to be who God has created you to be because your energy is spent holding down anger. You, okay, I got to move on to this beach ball analogy because you guys are probably wondering, why are these beach balls here? 
Well, it is a plug because next week is baptisms and our, our church pool party. So has anybody ever tried to push a beach ball under the water in a swimming pool? It pops up. So depending on the size of the ball and the strength of the person, you might be able to keep the ball under the water for a while, right? But then you start like rocking and the ball's moving and then it just like explodes and it goes everywhere. Goes somewhere that you're not going to get it again. Somebody else in the pool's going to take it, right? So if this ball represents my anger and I take my anger and I just press it down under the water, I can keep it there for a little while, right? But eventually, that anger is going to build and build and build, and it's going to fly out, okay? So remember in the beginning when I said anger is a gift? Can you imagine this anger shooting out as a gift? No. No. Okay, so if this anger pops up in my life and I have the courage to deal with it, and put it in its rightful place, then anger becomes the gift. My action toward the anger propels me to passion, okay? And passion is what causes me to move toward people in connectedness and wholeness and health and freedom. So we have on one side healthy anger, passion, which causes me to go back in a relationship with maybe my spouse or a friend. Causes me, when things break down, to go back to that person and and talk it out, like Jesus said, and try to build a bridge back to them. But on the other hand, unhealthy anger, right, pressed down anger, causes me to shut down and say nothing and walk away. Healthy anger reaches out unhealthy anger hides or walks away. And so when I was preparing this message, Dwayne reminded me of the early days of our marriage. You, probably no one else went through this in the early days of their marriage. Where you get angry, and it's not even about the thing you're angry about, right? You're not angry really that the dishes are in the sink. You're not really angry that someone didn't hear what you were saying. Can anybody relate to this? Okay, okay, good, three of you. Um, (laughs) So he reminded me of this interaction where he said, I don't want to fight with you. And I said, but I do want to fight. And it wasn't that I wanted to fight him, right? I wanted to fight together with him for our relationship. I didn't want to just take this anger and say, oh, whatever and let it build and build and build below the surface. Carrie, can you come up here? So Dwayne's not here this service, so can you guys just somehow imagine? Okay, so we're going to, let me get this thing out of here. See if you can pull that out. Did it come out? Okay. So imagine this is my anger, and it's below the surface, and it's building, and it's building. And Carrie, or Dwayne, doesn't even know it's there. But if I have the courage to take this anger 
and to come to my friend or my partner and talk about it and say, you know what, you really hurt me. I'm mad. Okay, so I think this, do you guys think this ball would still shoot out? That's the thing with anger. We didn't take a knife and pop this, right? There's still some anger in there because there's things that have happened in my past that Carrie, Dwayne, has nothing to do with, but it's already put some air in this ball, okay? And so then I have to come back again and say, And then this ball is, you know, it's going to get refilled again, right? But now it doesn't hold the pressure. It doesn't hold the weight in my life that it's just going to come exploding out at Carrie or Dwayne. So if anger is a gift and this ball allows us to get closer together, but you're in here going, there is no way in my life that I can bring this anger up because I've been holding this thing down for years. And when, the last time I brought my anger up, there were Cheerios all over my kitchen floor. The last time I brought my anger up, it was the last straw for my employer and I got fired. The last time I brought my anger up, the police were called to my house. It gets serious. So, Kevin, could you come up? So what happens if I have, let's go with this one, this big inflated force of anger, and I'm pushing and pushing and pushing below the surface. And it's about, it's about, yeah, go in the middle of us. If it's about Carrie, I'm really upset. But I'm not going to tell her about it. I'm just going to keep it below, right? What, because the last, remember, the last time I brought it up, stuff happened that I am not prepared to deal with, because it's going to come up. So what happens in that situation? I think scripture is really clear about this, that it is time to find somebody that you can trust and that you can be honest with about your anger that isn't that person that you're angry with. Maybe your trusted counselor is the one who can begin to push. Because now I'm safe. I'm not exploding this anger all over my partner or my friend. And then there's a little bit of pressure out of that anger, right? Maybe then in time, eventually, you can bring your partner in. Would you come help me? And we're going to do this together. So good. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Thank you, guys. So, yeah, that's all I need from you guys. Thank you. Let's give them a hand, too. James 5.16 and Psalm 32 are really clear about confession. If you've never done this, if you've never had somebody come up here and you say, I have this thing in my life, could you help me with it? Listen, 
it is the most vulnerable thing you could possibly ever do, and it is the most healing thing you could possibly do for yourself. So if you need to do that today, if you're not ready to give your anger to the person you're angry with, would you consider today picking up the phone and calling someone and saying, can we have coffee? I need to talk. If you don't have that person in your life, pick up the phone and call one of the local counseling services in our area. Call our church office and we can refer you to someone. We're going to have prayer partners at the front. These people may not be the person to hold that ball with you, but they could be the person to hold you accountable and, and help you find that person. But the bottom line is this anger, this inflated anger, will come out. Right? And it's either going to come out on your terms or when you are not ready for it. And when you don't want to deal with it because you have other things going on, right? So the beginning, I think, of dealing with this anger, it starts with a, a heart posture like Jesus spoke about that we talked about the entire time today. Psalm 139, David says it like this, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to search your heart. And if you don't even know, like if in Carrie's position, if you don't know who that anger is even aimed toward, ask God to reveal that to you. Ask God to come into this mess with you. Come, come with an open heart and ask God to help you find somebody you can trust to be in Kevin's position, to begin to hold this until you're ready to bring it with someone else and deal with that. And maybe you're here today and you don't even have a reconciled relationship with Jesus himself. And so my urging to you today is don't, don't wait till you get all this cleaned up. Don't wait until these balls are completely um, deflated because it's never going to happen. We're human beings. We're, we're full of not the righteousness that, that Jesus has imparted to us. We're full of ourselves. And so Jesus' work for us is to just sanctify us day by day, hour by hour, begin to let some of that air out, right? So if you need to reconcile with Jesus himself, whether you need to come back, whether you need, want to start a relationship with him for the first time today, I would invite you to do that as well. So let's, um, let's just pray. We're going to invite God into this, and we're going to just spend a couple minutes in reflection. God, we invite you into this time. Lord, would you search our hearts? Would you test our thoughts? God, would you show us if there is something in us that is destructive? God, would you allow us the time? Would you allow us the relationships to be mended? God, would you make beautiful things out of the ash that we might be walking around in? So I'm going to give you guys just, just a minute here just to be quiet before him and digest this that we've talked about today.
So if you are in this room and you need to start a relationship with Jesus today, would you just put up your hand? Anyone needing to start a relationship with Jesus today? If you're in this room and you need to make things right with Jesus, don't wait. Prayer partners, would you guys come forward at this time? If you need prayer, if you want to make things right with Jesus, if you need to find somebody to hold this ball while you sort things out, Jesus, give us the courage to own the pains and the hurts in our lives. Jesus, give us the courage to examine our hearts in front of your throne and in your presence. Lord God, we trust that you will point out to us the next steps if this is overwhelming to us. God, maybe we are in this room and we're going to get called upon to hold on to that ball while somebody else does the work and to put the pressure on that ball with them. God, as we, as we enter into whatever you have called us in this, this next season, Lord, we surrender that to you. And we trust that you will do what only you can do. God, that you'll join us in this work. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.